Good morning. Good morning. That's unnerving, isn't it? All this for, for Dean. I'm sitting there thinking it'd be a wonderful thing if all of you sent her a note uh, today or tomorrow and wished her well, but also say, you know, Dean, what happened to you was actually better than the sermon. <laughs>
And you certainly don't hear it in November when we're cranking up Christmas. It seems out of place. Uh, Matthew has um, one paragraph on him, and it's 83 words and three short verses. That's it. But what he did and why he did it is chiseled into the stone of history. Let us pray. For these words, O Lord of grace, we give you thanks. We ask that you pour them over us and remind us of who we are this day and also who we are not. For the gift of this man's story, receive our thanks and praise. In Christ's name, amen. In Matthew's Gospel, when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. And he went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, and then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. So Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn in the rock. And then he rolled a great stone to the door of the tomb and went away. The word of the Lord. Now, I've never paid attention to this guy. I've been in ministry over 40 years, and uh, several years back I woke up to him. And maybe you feel the same way. Um, he's standing there in the gospel. You can picture it. The whole gospel is coming to him. The whole story, all the parables, the birth, the parables, the teachings. Everything in the gospel is coming. And Joseph, I can just see him standing at the end of the story in the middle of the road in Jerusalem in a very key moment in the history of Christianity. He's there just after 3 o'clock on Friday. And Jesus had hung on the cross from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. And in the moment that Jesus died, the story picks up with Joseph. And the Bible says he goes to Pilate, asks for the body of Christ. This is a weird, very unusual thing to happen. Pilate had just crucified this man put a plaque over his head that read King of the Jews, which was customary to put the crime of the person being crucified on a plaque over their head. So his crime was he claimed to be a king. And so it was like a billboard. Anybody who walked by him would see the sign. He claims to be a king. If you claim to be a king, if you claim to have power over Rome, this is what will also happen to you. And it was customary to leave the body on the cross for days and days. And just the stench and the, the awkwardness and the horror of that sent a message to all the citizens that Rome was keeping in place. And so crucifixion was on purpose to be oppressive, to be shocking, to be disgusting, to send a message to the crowds. Rome is in control, and you're not. 
So if Pilate went to all this trouble to crucify this criminal, it makes no sense that he would just say, sure, you can have the body. At about 3.15 or 3.30 on Friday, he, took, he had the body taken off the cross and basically wasted a good crucifixion. Yeah. Who is this man? Joseph. Mark's gospel says he was, quote, a respected member of the council. Now, what that means is there were 70 Jewish leaders on the Sanhedrin, which was the puppet court that ran the routines of the Jewish people in Israel, the celebrations, the customs, the Passover, all the rules and regulations, but they were under the thumb of Rome. And so the Sanhedrin and the high priest was like the president of the Jewish people and the cabinet was and the court. And so Joseph was a respected member of basically Congress. Now you that okay, let's leave that one. <laughs> yes, preacher get away with some things that the regular guy cannot. <laughs> and it says Joseph went boldly to Pilate. Boldly. Isn't that an interesting choice of words for the gospel writer to say, let me tell you how he went. He didn't just go to Pilate. He went boldly. Boldly to Pilate. Who goes boldly to the governor of the Roman Empire? Who is this man? I have this image of him going into the Praetorium, which is the governor's mansion in, um, or his headquarters there in Jerusalem, and walking up the big steps and going into the main room and seeing the receptionist, and he says, you know, I'd like to see Pontius Pilate. Well, do you have an appointment, sir? <laughs> no, no, I don't. Uh, but it's urgent. I mean, it's real urgent. And she said, well, sir, uh, I'm sorry, but the governor is extremely busy today. It is Friday. He's trying to wrap up for the weekend. <laughs> and I'm sorry, but he's not going to be able to see you. And I can imagine, Joseph, the next thing he said was, would you just tell him, is Joseph of Arimathea? Who is this? who walks in on a Friday afternoon at probably 3.30 after the crucifixion without an appointment and gets a hearing from Pilate. Who is this guy? Matthew intentionally tells you this. Joseph was, quote, a rich man. That's interesting information. Why do I need to know that? What does that have to do with the story of burying Jesus? I mean, he doesn't tell me Joseph was married to Sally. That's not in there. And he doesn't say Joseph had three beautiful children. They all went to do. He doesn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying. I'm sure they did, but he didn't bring it up. <laughs> He doesn't say Joseph was a lawyer. He doesn't give you the information what he does for a living. He doesn't say Joseph had a sixth 
handicap. Nor did he say he loves the fish. He told you nothing about the man, but he chose to tell you this. Joseph was a rich man. I'm real curious as to why I need to know that. What difference would that make? But then I thought about it. Would Pilate had would Pilate had ever given an appointment to a poor man? Would he? And not only was Joseph rich, but he had influence to get into a meeting with Pilate at a moment's notice with no appointment and persuades Pilate to do something that makes absolutely no sense. Let me take the body off the cross immediately. It's an incredible story. 83 words, three verses, that's all it is. I went flying over this story for 30-some years. Every Good Friday, read the story, keep moving. Let's get to the real stuff. Let's get to the truth, to the resurrection. Oh, I'd have loved to have been a fly on the wall in that meeting between Pilate and Joseph. Wouldn't you have loved to have been in there? I bet when he went in, he said, uh, Pilate probably said, Joseph, close the door. What do you want? Now, this is an interesting discussion. Well, um, I want the body of the man you just crucified, Jesus. For what? Weren't you on the council who voted to have him crucified and you brought him to me to get me to do your dirty work? Weren't you the council that wanted to get rid of this riffraff? And you're coming back to me at what time is it? 3.40? Why do you want his body? <clears throat> well, I, I, yeah, I am on the council. But I voiced my opposition to this. And he did. <clears throat> But more than that, Pilate, and nobody knows this, what I'm getting ready to tell you, but I am one of his disciples. <laughs> Wait, sit down. You, Joseph of Arimathea, you believe that man from Podunk, Nazareth, from a poor carpenter's family, is the king, let me emphasize the word, and remember the plaque. He's the king of the, you believe he's the king of the Jews? Now see, what I don't understand is why Pilate didn't crucify Joseph right here. Why not? Why not take, call the guards, have Joseph taken off, and crucify him for following this traitor? Who is this guy, Joseph? He's a wealthy, well-connected, risk-taking, faithful, 
do this of Jesus Christ. Let's read it. And this was a new thought to me. I was driving between Shelby, North Carolina, and Brevard, where we have our home, and we were living in Charlotte, and I was trying to get a sermon ready for Lent, and I was thinking about Joseph of Arimathea. I know I don't have a life, but that's what I was doing. <laughs> and I was digging. All of a sudden, none of this made sense to me, and I started uh, pulling on it and pushing on it and asking questions of this text. And here I had a new thought. He bought the body of Jesus. Think about that for a minute. Why did Matthew tell me he was rich? It was a code. I think it was. I can't prove it. But I think it was a code to say, Joseph went into Pilate and asked for the body and made a huge contribution to the Pilate Foundation. <laughs> How else did he get that body? It makes no sense. It's a waste of a good crucifixion. Why didn't Joseph get crucified himself for following a treason is person? It makes no sense unless it's about the money. How would you like to be the person in history who purchased the body of Jesus? Wow. How much, Pilate? Man, I'd love to have been a fly on the wall. I'd love to know what that number was. <laughs> How much was that check? It could have been. I thought, though, you know, it could have been. The pilot was so confused over Jesus. You know, they brought him to him, and he tried to wash his hands, and his wife told him not to do it, and all this other stuff. He didn't listen to her, which is always bad. <laughs> But I thought, you know, I dug into Pilate and I went and read some history on him. He was actually ruthless. Some people argue that he probably wasn't even confused about the crucifixion, that that some of the interpretation of the Bible writers to lay the burden on all of us. But Pilate probably just said, you want him dead? Kill him. I don't care. Could care less. If he's a nuisance, if he's raising ruckus with the people, crucify him. The struggle Pilate had could be biblical imagination. A little stretch. Or he could have gone through it all, but I, I thought, well, you know, if he was known for being ruthless, certainly he wouldn't have felt guilty and said to Joseph, I never, you know, I didn't feel good about this from the beginning. Go ahead and take him. Maybe that'll ease my conscience, balance the score. I don't see it. I don't see a Roman governor feeling guilty about anything. I think it's about the money. And he was a rich man. Why was he that? Once he gets permission and this meeting's over, it, he's only got less than three hours to get the body off the cross get it wrapped in a clean linen cloth, which Mark's gospel says they had to go purchase that. Jerusalem, old Jerusalem, small community. So they had to go down into the market, <coughs> buy this clean linen cloth, and then they had to come back and wrap him publicly in it when they took him off the cross and take him to Joseph's tomb, which was very nearby, just hundreds of yards away. 
and they had to put him in that tomb. And all that was very public and very, very risky. And the Bible says that Nicodemus helped Joseph with the burial, and Nicodemus was on this respected council, so therefore he was likely also very rich. The people, the leaders of the Jewish community who were rich, being rich meant you were being, you were blessed by God. And so people on the Sanhedrin, more than likely all of them, were rich. But neither of these rich guys should be associated with this criminal, and yet they are. And so Jesus ends up in the tomb of a rich man. Isn't that an oxymoron? He spends his whole life with the poor. He was raised poor. He never had anything himself. No home, no family that we know of. No house, no boat. No great trip. And he's buried in a Mercedes. <laughs> Hand-hewn. Probably by slaves. He's in the finest tomb in all of Jerusalem. When Catherine and I were in the Holy Land, and we went in that tomb, and many of you have in the um, in the church, most scholars believe that to be the the tomb. And we were kneeling there in tears, almost by the by the place where the body of Christ was laid. You can hardly believe you're you're in there. And I looked around and it dawned on me, this, this was the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. This was his tomb. This is it. I'm in it. But he never used it. It became our tomb. It became the tomb of all the world. An empty tomb where death was defeated by the love of God. The Bible's all about wealth being dangerous. You know, it's in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament. It doesn't say wealth is evil. It says it's dangerous. It's the love of money that's evil, not money. And so it says wealth can create an illusion of grandeur where you believe you have a false sense of security like if I'm wealthy I can take care of myself and make things happen until I can. And then even my money can't get me out of some things. And wealth says that power can corrupt and we've seen that 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, not only in Washington but everywhere. Power can corrupt. It's dangerous. And prosperity can lead to a self-centered life that I spend my whole time entertaining myself. Whether it's playing golf poorly or whatever it is, my wealth brings me comfort and I live in the security of the confines of my enclave. It's dangerous. But here's the kicker with Joseph. He was a rich man. And wealth in the hands of a person whose heart is in the hands of God is one of the most powerful forces on the face of the earth. Did you, did you catch all that? Wealth in the hands of a person whose heart is in the hands of God is a powerful person. 
God used a rich man. Right at the end of the story. I mean, the whole thing's coming to the crucifixion and the resurrection. There stands Joseph. He's just standing there, waiting for the moment to use his money, his power, his influence. God used a rich man. God, listen, this brings me great hope because I'm rich. I mean, not, you know, I'm a Presbyterian minister, but you know what I mean. I'm rich. <laughs> Compared to the world standards, every one of us is rich. We're all rich. And for me to know that a rich person stands in the gospel, and God chooses to use that person, brings me great hope. Maybe God could use me. You. You think Joseph knew there was going to be a resurrection in that tomb? No. You know that? He's just trying to give the guy a decent burial. Do you think he knew angels were going to come flocking down and trying to communicate this? No. Do you think he knew Christianity was going to be born in a few hours and that that religion would take over the world? Do you think he knew we were going to be sitting in this fellowship hall today? Talking about him? You don't know how God's going to use you. You got no clues. So why are we talking about this in November? Pledge cards are out. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you think $500 a month will do it for the two times I'm there? 
I'll pay for what I use. Another nervous laugh. <laughs> he wasn't standing there in the gospel going, wait a minute, two times a month, times of heat and air conditioning, toilet paper and all that. He stood there with everything. Influence, power, money, guts, the courage to go into Pilate and say, I got to own up to this. I'm one of his. You just crucified the man who I think is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. That is stewardship and not a church budget. I think Joseph would say that. Oh, I think he had. It's when your entire life belongs to Christ. All of it.